Hello, today is Monday, November 13th, 2023. Sitting to my right, as always, is my co-host and full-time lawyerman, Thomas Frey. To our left and in front of us is producer Rue. I'm Adam Hartog, and this is episode 30, the Henrik Lundquist episode of the Breaksdown podcast, powered by 528 Collectibles, the flagship program of the 528 multimedia network we have an exciting show for you guys today we're going to talk about some big shakeups in the world of college football a little playoff prediction then the meat of our program is going to be the nfl our usual discussion with storylines disappointments surprises and games to watch Uh, we're also going to do some basketball i forgot to mention that in the housekeeping segment then we're going to move on to our fan favorite segment random awards we're going to do our mini helmet giveaway right Mm -hmm. so we'll get into that later and then we're going to do bold prediction of the year of the week as usual so it's going to be a fun a fun program and i'll shut up and let us get into it all right recording this just before 8 p.m on monday night It was an exciting weekend on and off the field in both the NCAA and the NFL. Uh, The big news out of college football, Jimbo Fisher has been fired by Texas Agricultural and Mechanical University, and he got the biggest buyout, as far as I know, in the history of sports. So since this is a buyout, is it the type of – you may not have the answer to this, but typically when coaches get fired, they're owed – the remainder of their salary unless they get another job it's non-offsetting he's keeping all of it the annual in, case, in the case of his buyout yeah it's non-offsetting wow so he could get another head coaching gig somewhere and still be getting 7.5 mil annually for the next what seven years so it's tw- 20 million do it in 60 days mm-hmm. of set of sunday morning then it's installments of seven and a half or so million i think through 2031 that's good money and it's good money, yeah. Good for Jim Bob. And this is Texas, so as far as I know, entirely tax-free. I'm not sure if he, like, I mean, he's a southern football coach, so it's not like he's going to move to a high-tax state, but he's keeping all of it. The price of oil has been up, so I, I'm not even kidding. That's actually, like, something that contributes to this decision I've, I've heard. Because uh, going into the season, I heard there were, like, rumors that he was maybe on the hot seat, and... I, this was a couple months ago, and people were like, the par- price of oil is down a little bit, so they're probably not willing to write that check now. Maybe revisit in a couple months. That's wild that that's like a real consideration and whether or not <laughs> yeah. to fire their head football coach. Yeah, for $77 million. So much money. That's so much money. I mean... He's got the best job in America, fired college football coach. It doesn't get better. No, when Coach O got fired, he had like a press conference, and he was all giddy which is unusual for a fired coach, but they were like, like, how, how to go down? How do you feel? And he was like, they sat me down and they said, coach, you've got $17.5 million on your contract. We're going to give it to you. And he goes, all right, well, what time do you want me to leave and what door do you want me out of, brother? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, collecting all that money for doing nothing now is it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, and he's now a big-time fired college football coach, so uh, by law I think he has to end up on the Alabama staff at some point. Alabama staff or straight to ESPN. Yeah, true. And then and then throw your name back out in the in the candidacy after like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a 45-25 and 25 record in six seasons at A&M, 
The highest ever finish was fourth in the COVID season 2020 in an all-conference schedule, and that's that's a good record in the SEC, but when you're being paid eight figures a year, they need more than eight wins consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's just not what they're paying for. Yeah. The athletic director, Ross Bjork, said that the program was stuck in neutral, and now this immediately becomes the talk of the college, the coaching college football I don't even know off season because if they get to the off season without having their guy lined up, it'd be surprising. But this is like there's there's different rankings of jobs in college football, and even within the SEC, this is gonna be the most coveted job of the off season. They have so much money from the boosters that they're willing to throw in. I mean, their 2022 recruiting class, which was the highest rated class of all time. It's estimated that they spent $30 million on the boosters. So they they pretty much can go after anybody. So who do you think they're going to go after? So there's been a couple names floated out there. Uh, I wrote them down on, like, the notes page, um, I, and I color-coded them. So the pink is – this is bad podcasting, but the pink is who I think is unrealistic than green – more realistic and blue I think would be bad Mm -hmm. so in terms of like the what did I say pink was unrealistic pink is is gold like gold standard higher I guess like this would be an A plus Okay. and it's Dan Lanning from Oregon and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss Lanning is I think 38 and he's been awesome since he took the Oregon job last year was his first season he was a Georgia DC before this so he's like an SEC guy, and SEC guys tend to get pulled back to the SEC at some point. And Oregon's last two coaches left for other jobs, and they're pretty like hurt about being used as a stepping stone because that's not what they're supposed to be. And Oregon has a ton of money, but it's it's not it's like uniforms and facilities money that is stuff that is basically serves as advertisements for Nike. It's not like let me buy this recruits parents a house near campus kind of money Mm -hmm. um there's one name that's shockingly absent from this list and it's eli drinkwitz (laughs) dude honestly i yeah i didn't think i haven't thought about that at all but i think that would be a very sensible and like not not safe because that that downplays it a little bit but like Oh, here's a guy that had success in the SEC rebuilding a program with a fraction of the resources. That's what I'm saying, man. Eli Drinkwitz is poised to do big things. Yeah. Um, that's, so he actually, I would put him in the second tier of, like, good hires and realistic. But to close out, like, the home run guys, it's Lane Kiffin, who at Ole Miss has established one of the most explosive offenses in the country in the couple seasons he's been that he's been there A&M fans have been have been like hating Jimbo for years because his offense has been terrible all the time so this would be probably a welcome change for them and for Kiffin it's an upgrade even though Ole Miss is going coming going into this weekend a top 10 ranked in the country SEC team the athletes that you get at Ole Miss just doesn't compare with the ones you get in Texas so it would be an upgrade for him name brand matters in college football why Texas is such an institution even though they were down on their luck for so many years yeah it's and and there's like a couple states 
that you can like you could just recruit in state and win a championship at, and Texas is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you want to tell them your green names, whatever your green thing means. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So the green ones, which I think are are sensible hires that are very realistic, but maybe won't get the fan base as excited as the two guys previously mentioned. Mike Elko from Duke, uh, Jeff Trailer from Utsa, and Jeff Levy, but the team is escaping my mind at the moment. I'm having a brain fart. And Eli Drinkwitz from Mizzou un- yeah. until we figure out Jeff Levy's <clears throat> program. He's uh, he's the OC at Oklahoma. Okay. I, f- I forgot where he was for a second. So Elko was the, the DC at, at Texas A&M for a couple seasons before he took the job at Duke. And as we've talked about before, he did nearly the impossible, and he turned Duke into a football school. Yeah, not full-time, just shared. Yeah, to and, be clear. and this kind of this is the kind of hire similar to Lincoln Riley with Caleb Williams that if Mike Elko becomes the A&M head coach, he's probably taking Riley Leonard with him, which I think is a good move. But also A&M has Connor Weigman, who was a five-star recruit at quarterback. He's hurt this season, and Max Johnson is playing, who's terrible. But that probably sets off a like a carousel or a domino effect there where Weigman moves to another program, perhaps a Mizzou if Drinkwood stays. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> Entirely perhaps. And then Jeff Trailer is the next guy at Utsa. It's been well documented what what he's done to them since their turnaround in the post-COVID season 2021. They were really good. They played in a big bowl. I forgot which one it was, but they spent a couple weeks ranked. And he has he's a coach that came up through the Texas high school rankings. He won three state championships, so he has connections all over the state. And it's probably going to be pretty important for them to hire somebody that that has those connections within the state for recruiting purposes. So that would probably be a, a home run hire there. Jeff Tractor Trailer, if you will. <laughs> yeah, because he's paving new recruiting grounds across the state. I'm glad that you turned that into having an actual reason behind it instead of just me being dumb no you totally that was your reason you oh, just, yeah, I, I just could, didn't know I could it tell yet. it in just the the way you said it that it was just on the tip of your tongue and then jeff lebby former quarterback at ou and the oc there now uh he's like uh an up-and-coming hot name kind of coaching candidate the same way like kellen moore gets thrown around in nfl circles the odds are that they won't make a move like this just because they really need to get this one right. And, I mean, that's always been the case with A&M. They've never really had the right guy as the coach. But taking a shot at an unproven guy like that at that level is probably too dangerous waters for them to jump into now. It also speaks to what you were talking about with the connections and everything within the state that Jeff Lebby just may not have as, like, an established fig- figure within so it just doesn't fit that criteria that you were saying they might be seeking. Yeah, like someone like you're right, someone like Jeff Trailer, beyond just like he coached in high school for a long time, so he knows what it's like. He knows every coach in the state so he can call them and ask about players, stuff like that. So that could be important. And then the last tier is guys that names that have been thrown around and that I think could be like could I see a world where they're really good? Yeah, but I think there's just no way that it happens now. It's Dion. It's Cliff Kingsbury and it's Dan Campbell, the Lions coach and Texas A&M alum, who 
has been loosely mentioned in rumors from no one that's like an actual reporter. Zero percent chance. The only reason it's hard to say zero percent chance is because of the paychecks that Texas A&M writes. I don't know, man. I don't. I, he, make, he makes two and a half million as think, an NFL coach now. I think the Lions would just give him a raise. I also tend to agree with you that he's not going to leave because I think he's not the guy that puts his heart and soul into a project and then and then jumps ship. It's total. It's like the antithesis of what he everything he stands for. Yeah, I also think it would be a bad move because you can't take a risk like that if you're Texas A&M now with mm-hmm. somebody that doesn't have college coaching experience. Dion, I, I don't think he's leaving yet. Neither do I, because also Shadur... Is going and, back for another year. Yeah, and even if, with the new transfer rules, everybody gets one free transfer, basically, no questions asked. Okay. And then if you transfer again, you still can get to play, but you have to get, like, approval from the NCAA. Okay, and so there's the, a the risk N- that he'd have to sit out a year. Yeah, Travis Hunter, too. And also, for their draft stock, the best thing probably isn't to move again. Yeah, it's not, also, also not just Shadur, his other son as well. Yeah, Shiloh, the yeah. D-back, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just not the time for Dion to, to move or make an upgrade. Also, I mean, not exactly the same as Dan Campbell, but it seems like Dion at least wants to get this program off the ground a little bit. It's, you know, they've shown obvious growth, but they're still not even close to being where he would want to get them to. And if he just jumps ship for another bigger name, I think that's... Not that he necessarily cares, but I, I think it's bad for his, his reputation. I wonder if that is the Dion era is a success then if you're Colorado. I feel like even if he's there for one year, it still is because of how much publicity you got in, in that year. Mm, I mean, marginal maybe, marginal success because if when Dion leaves, no one cares. Yeah, true. So, I mean, they probably gain some fans, but all the people who are there for Dion and Shador are gone. So. It's just, did they spend enough money while they were there to make it worth it? And Cliff Kingsbury, the other name you named, is just, I, I mean, I don't know. We haven't even had any evidence that he's a good coach at, at any level. <laughs> no, it's true, yeah. Fired from Texas a, a Texas Tech team that where he had Mahomes. He does have that connection, though, the Texas guy he does. thing. So that's something. But, uh, like, Dion, I agree he's not leaving yet. He That would be, like, a shockwave throughout college football hire, though, because he would get – everybody to play for him there oh for sure i mean but that's what's that's what's gonna happen once he leaves colorado yeah because he's he's not gonna downgrade he's gonna go to a much bigger school in a much bigger football state and he's going to it's gonna be a huge deal i don't want to say he's gonna dominate but it's going to be a huge deal he probably will dominate if he he surrounds himself with the right coordinators yeah he might um but yeah this is uh this is going to be like the story of the next couple weeks in college besides what's happening on the field. And once you know that this is going to happen, and they actually won their last game 51-10, to 10, so this decision was probably made in advance of that. But once you know that this is going to happen, you kind of have to act immediately. So firing him with a couple of weeks left lets you get a heads, an inside track on whoever, whatever candidates you want. It also helps with recruiting. Like if you send... If you keep sending Jimbo for the rest of the year and people know he's on his way out, it's going to be hard to sell recruits on coming to play for they don't even know who. Mm-hmm. So having this guy before signing day in a couple couple months is big. Um, so it's it, it's going to be it's a cr- critical hire for them. I mean they they've been a sleeping giant for 50 plus years and they've never had the right guy to take them to the, to the next level. 
Like Kirby Smart at Georgia came in and he didn't care that they hadn't won a championship in since since Herschel Walker was there and he was the right coach and he recruited in the state really well and down in Florida really well and it took him a couple years to make that a powerhouse and the same thing should happen at A&M if not faster because of the portal now right coach right time yeah and then the biggest game that happened on the field uh, number three Michigan beat number 10 Penn State in Happy Valley 24 to 15 I've been to Happy Valley it's cool the campus is massive I toured it in high school when I was looking at colleges to go to and I went when it was their spring break so there was nobody there okay that was probably weird yeah, you Ghost had to take town. a bus around campus because it was so big. Yeah, I was very against that when I was going to picking colleges. They almost had me sold, though, because you park for the tour, like, right outside the stadium. Well, that's how they get you. Yeah, that's how they get me, yeah. <laughs> they were rolling up the red carpet for you. Yeah, the, dude, they had just, like, let me... Or the blue s- carpet. Yeah, the nittany, even though that's not a no, color, not supposedly. A we established not a color. <laughs> If they had just let me stroll onto the field for, like, three seconds at Beaver Stadium, I would have been sitting here a Penn State aluminum. Mm. Or, uh. as the the English say, aluminum. <laughs> um, the big story before this game, Harbaugh was suspended for the last three games of the regular season by the Big Ten. I don't know if you saw, there was a picture of him on the tarmac because he was suspended while the team was flying to Pennsylvania. So there's a picture of him, like, talking to what looked like police or, like, agents on the tarmac outside the plane. It was it looked like a GTA scene. It was pretty cool. Oh, no, I haven't seen that. Let me try to pull it up quickly, if you don't mind. That's him in the Jordan, Michigan stuff. Emergency tarmac meeting. Yeah. That's what the headline says. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. You're right. So he was suspended for this game. Uh, Michigan filed for a temporary restraining order before the game in hopes that he would be able to coach. I don't. I don't really know anything about that. It's just like an injunction. It's meant to just stay the proceedings, essentially. It's nothing like doesn't mean anything. It's basically just putting a delay on it and hoping that they can get the suspension pushed either, you know, for the appeal and get the suspension like kicked or you push it back to next year, theoretically. So is this like when Brady was suspended for four games for Deflategate and then fought it for a whole season Mm -hmm. and then was suspended the next year? Yeah. Okay. Very similar. Um, I mean, that's my guess. I don't know the details of it, but that, that's my guess. And then uh, the whole Michigan team, basically, when they found out that he was suspended, tweeted bet. So that was weird. Corny. <laughs> uh, I just don't know what that like. Why? Like why bet? It's. I guess it's just like. I know what bet means. Like it's like a word, but like I don't know. It's. Just, I don't. I don't exactly. My yeah. guess is like. All right. Watch. Kind of. I don't know it's whatever it is corny i don't like it i didn't bet on either team should have should have bet on michigan i guess i should have bought should bought some see that was the confusion this was not them saying like oh word just watch this was them saying bet that's bet they're giving you advice that seems like a bad decision for them to all do that while they're under close watch by the ncaa hey man give gambling advice on their own games they at least they didn't tell you what to bet it was just advice. It's just good for FanDuel primarily and DraftKings, I'd imagine. So probably get some good NIL money from them. I was listening to the Simmons podcast, and he was talking because they, they have a deal with FanDuel like we're, we'll have. And um, <laughs> they was, like, talking about how a, a prop that he made and they promoed cost them $2 million. And he was like, yeah, suck it, FanDuel, as if they don't, like, 
have a love that he's, yeah. he's doing that and mm-hmm. like they finally won one so that they could promote it more yeah yeah it's all it all comes around so michigan won this with an up uh, an over commitment almost to the run game and good defense they ran 46 times for 227 yards uh blake quorum 145 and two scores so when I did my little like preview of the game and I talked all about Penn State's stout run defense first nationally in the country, I guess no one showed that to Michigan. Yeah, must have must have missed that memo. Yeah. JJ McCarthy only threw eight times, completed seven of them for sixty yards. Penn State struggled again to move the ball through the air. Drew Aller was eleven for twenty three for seventy four yards. This is his second stinker in as many big games against Michigan and Ohio State. Penn State has since fired their OC Mike Yurkich, and Michigan versus Ohio State is in two weeks. I don't have like a ton on this game besides what happened. So on the game, my guess is that they were afraid to lose in the shock of the Harbaugh thing, and they just played it as safe as they possibly could, knowing they could win. Yeah, that seems to be when you run it that many. When you run the ball 46 times, yeah, it's more so. I don't want to say playing scared, but playing safe and trying to control time of possession, essentially. Have the ball as much as you possibly can. Yeah, and and J.J. McCarthy's a Heisman candidate, so it's not like this is just how they win usually. So I think you're right. And then on the suspension, I honestly think that if the Big Ten didn't feel secure about its chances of getting at least one school into the playoff, they wouldn't have fired Harbaugh. Suspended. Yeah, sorry, suspended Harbaugh because – if Ohio State beats Michigan, and part of that is because Harbaugh's not on the sidelines, then Ohio State's going to get in. But if Ohio State had one or, like, God forbid, two losses, and the threat of them beating Michigan and the Big Ten having no teams in the playoff existed, I don't think they would have suspended him. Makes sense to me. It's conspiratorial, but it's not. Because it just is probably the truth. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of Michigan's 10, 12, however many, I guess 10 through this point, games, uh, Harbaugh, or, well, he, he will have coached four of them at the end of the regular season. That's pretty crazy. The self-imposed suspension for the first three, uh, externally imposed suspension for the last three. That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and and they could just try to fight. If he like has one foot out the door for the NFL, they could just, like you said, try to fight this through the season knowing that Nothing's going to happen to anyone ever. Yeah, we'll see. I I don't know how the TRO will work, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and then the other big game that happened, uh, number two, Georgia, whooped number nine, Ole Miss, 52-17. to 17. This was tied 14-all, I think, in the first quarter, maybe early second. So this was all Georgia after that. Uh, these guys just don't play the same sport. This was big for Georgia. Yeah. This was like the if the Eagles came out and whooped somebody good. Just mm-hmm. they – like this hasn't they haven't been this good at any point this season. No, I mean we've been saying all year that Georgia doesn't look like the Georgia of old, but now they do. Yeah. At the right time. Now they just beat a top 10 team by 35. Yeah. <laughs> um it's the 27th straight victory for Georgia. Their offense was unstoppable. 300 yards of offense in each half. Touchdown on the first four drives of the game. And some are now calling Ole Miss potentially the worst 10-win team in SEC history. When you say some, does that mean you or does that mean actually some? It doesn't mean me. Okay. I haven't called them that yet. I, I, I'm i going to do some research into it. Okay. But I've heard them being called that on okay. other college football podcasts. Just checking. Yeah. 
I will let you know if I concur with it after my research, though. Okay. Keep me posted. Yes, of course. Um, and then Georgia now has a date with Alabama in the SEC championship game in Atlanta. And we'll get into it in a, a little bit later in their college football talk of, like, what could happen depending on the outcome of that game. But that's just, like, the SEC matchup that I've become accustomed to over the last decade. So nice to be back. Yeah, comforting. Took one year off when Alabama had two losses last year. Mm-hmm. But Alabama's back. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Jalen Miller looks awesome. They just handedly beat Kentucky, so it, it should be a good game. At, at this point, I kind of expect Georgia to win, but... Never know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and then a couple other notable things happened, but mostly chalk. Washington beat Utah 35-28. to Washington's margin of victory in the first four games of the season... Do you want to guess? 30. Yes. Really? Yes. Was that number there? I didn't see it. No, it wasn't okay. there. All right, cool. I didn't know if I, like, subconsciously cheat. Oh, it is there. <laughs> Come on. You ruined the illusion. I don't like being lied to. You were lying to me. I genuinely thought <laughs> I guessed that myself. <laughs> and then, yes, and then their margin of victory since has been seven. So playing a lot of tight games, but as long as they keep winning, and, I mean, if they're an undefeated Pac-12 champion, there's – Probably no way they don't get in. I feel robbed of what Utah's season could have been. Without your boy? Yeah. Cam Rising? I was all in on them, man. And th- I still think they're really good, and I- they could have been awesome with Cam Rising. So maybe your team next year is Utah, just so you can talk about how good that 23 team could have been with it- Cam Rising. <laughs> is Cam Rising a senior? Uh, he's He's probably redshirt eligible for this whole season anyway. That's true, but if he's already redshirted, I don't know anything about his past. I don't know if he has. He's a senior, but he could redshirt, so he could theoretically be back. Or is it too late to redshirt? It, I don't know. It's how that so works. hard with like anybody that was in college in 2020 because they all have I know. that you, extra year. Yeah, you have the COVID year, you have a redshirt year, you have an injury redshirt year. Yeah. yeah, you could play forever. <laughs> There's a, there was some guy on NIU last year. I think he was in his eighth season. I mean, Perry Ellis is still at Kansas. <laughs> Hooping. Yeah, balling <laughs> out. Um, also, Florida beat my Florida State beat Miami 27-20. This one really wasn't as close as the final score makes it seem. There was a, like a late Miami touchdown on a weird like fumble. I think it was a fumble recovery play that made it a one-score game late. But generally, Florida State was in control of this one. The bar we were at when Miami scored exploded, and it was a Wisco bar. So I guess they everyone had – had the U. Oh, also funny story about that before I forget. So it's a Wisco bar. The bar we were at together? No, 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 no. The bar oh. Perry and I went to before dinner. I was about to say. Was a Wisco bar. Okay. We get there and they are like, there's like less than three minutes left of in them getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. It Like everybody there is, is like a Wisco fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they score like a pity touchdown with like a minute 40 left they play the fight song it's like the saddest fight song i've ever heard played and perry just starts going nuts like yeah let's go wisco like just shows up with like two minutes left in a blowout home loss like let's go go badgers (laughs) it's a miracle that he's never had his ass kicked I, I, it's a miracle, A, that I haven't done it, and B, that the billions of other people that he's annoyed haven't. <laughs> Maybe live on the podcast, we can him versus, like, ex-boxer. 
I would be thrilled to officiate that. Uh, also, Oregon beat USC 36-27. I thought about putting this in like its own standalone discussion thing, but I think we're past the point where USC losing is like real notable news. Nah, they're just bad. Yeah, Defense lost to a good is awful. football team. Defense is awful. Yeah, um, Caleb, it's going to the league. Yeah, he's going to. It's just like it's weird that he's never gonna play in the playoffs. Considering he has played in three seasons, like Bryce Young, it's weird to me that he didn't win a national championship, but he only played two. But even yeah. still, like, I don't know. You know, you expect the best players to play, but, I mean, also a lot of the high-powered programs, though, have, like, low-caliber quarterbacks, kind of. Yeah. Like, Steady Bennett was the starting QB for, what, two? Two national championships, yeah. Yeah, so it's weird, but it, it also kind of checks out. The Rams could have used him if he didn't vanish on his – like Idea. step away from football thing. I uh, he actually looked like good in preseason to the point where I've checked in on it throughout the year to see if there's been any updates and it's just nothing. He was at the Georgia game the other day. That was like the first time he had made a public appearance in months. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy how tight the lid it has been on that story because no one knows what it is. Nobody. Kind of wild. I, I'm so curious. Me too. I just want to know. I know. Just because I'm nosy, mostly. Yeah, I just like too. to know things. <laughs> nosy. I like to nose things. <laughs> um, Texas beat TCU 29-26. The Longhorns have been pulling out some close losses, but as long as they keep checking off the win column, that's really all that matters from them at, for them at this point. Mm-hmm. Their goal is just win the conference and hope that's good enough to get into the playoffs. Um, Missouri... Don't you know, have anything on this game. I just have – it would be really exciting if we had a Arch Manning appearance, like in a playoff, like a Tua kind of thing. Yeah, could you imagine? That would be so cool. <laughs> like they're down. Yeah. They're down like 10 with like like 38 seconds left in the third quarter, and you see Arch come in, mm-hmm. score a touchdown on the first drive. Defense gets a big stop. They get a field goal to tie it, then a turnover, and then you're just. This is what's gonna happen. Yeah, okay. I'm predicting this now. Okay. I just think it'd be really cool to to get the appearance. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what happened in the Tua thing. I don't think. I was just making a hypothetical. Oh, I know. I imagine is gonna happen. You're. I just. I knew if I let you keep going, you would have kept going. Yeah. I would have pa- painted like his whole career. Yeah. The whole rec- Texas recruiting class, how they would build around him after. Mm-hmm. We don't need to go there. Uh. And then, all right, so I have Missouri whoop Tennessee. It's a cool. Damn, I just now I know what I got to do. I got to do a Madden franchise mode. With Arch Manning? Yeah, and, but with the Giants. So you, you could, are you going to sim like a couple seasons or are you just going to import his draft class like immediately? I would sim a couple seasons. I'd probably, yeah, I would sim a couple seasons. I don't want to, that messes everything up. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, so the playoff conundrum, I, like, alluded to this a little bit. It involves Georgia. It involves Alabama. It involves Washington. It involves Florida State. It involves Oregon. It involves all the teams we just talked about. But where things stand, the undefeated programs in the country are Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Washington. The playoff, as things currently sit with the new ranking coming out tomorrow, uh, it's the first four teams. Washington is the first out. One lost teams, Oregon, Alabama, and Texas. And right now we are staring at a very possible situation 
where the winner of Ohio State or Michigan goes on to win the Big Ten and they're an undefeated Big Ten champion and they're a lock for the playoffs. Florida State wins out and is an undefeated ACC champion and they're a lock for the playoffs. And then there's two spots between a bunch of teams and if Alabama beats Georgia and Oregon beats Washington in both conference titles and Texas wins out and wins the Big 12 championship, then we'll have we'll have a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss Alabama with a win over Georgia, a one-loss Texas with a win over Alabama, a one-loss Washington with a loss to the to the Pac-12 champions, and a one-loss Oregon with a loss to Washington. <laughs> And I have no idea who gets in there because it's a mess. Yeah, it's, I was I was trying to do some transitive property stuff in there, but it all loops all the way around. It's, yeah. it's too much. <laughs> I don't know how, based on everything the committee stands for, that Texas can be in over Alabama because of the head-to-head if it comes down to them both. But the idea of an SEC champion Alabama with a win over Georgia not getting in is crazy, as is the idea of a one-loss Pac-12 champion, Oregon, as is the idea of a one-loss in two years, Georgia, not getting in. I think they have to leave Georgia in. In with one loss? Yeah. Then who gets left out? Who gets in with Georgia? It would have to be Alabama then. Probably. And then Texas gets screwed kind of with a win over Alabama. I think Texas would get screwed. I just think you can't keep Georgia out given – their track record of three plus seasons of success, sustained success, and one SEC championship loss. Like that's they they can't they literally cannot do that. But what happens if Washington I don't know. I goes undefeated, or if Oregon beats Washington, then they either of them gets left out. I don't know. If I feel like if Washington is an undefeated, I have a solution. Conference champion, they would have to get in over Georgia. Just expand now. <laughs> Just expand the playoff now. It's only fitting that we end with with um, four what's, good what's teams getting cut out. No, it's got to end in uh, in what's what's the word for like when stuff ends like with an asterisk. I was gonna say unceremoniously, but no, it's. I don't think there's. I don't know if there's a word to describe what you're saying. If something ends with an asterisk. Yeah, no, it's like controversy. That's the one that I keep coming back to. That is not the the, the definition that you provided. No, I know, with. but I meant like when something has a controversial seal ending. Why well, you, you really can't do that <laughs> word? <laughs> controversial. Controversial. I'm gonna go with that one. That's not. Be- I mean, it's better than controversial. It's better. I know, but it's not great. Um, I'm not thrilled when, about when it. When it has, when something has a controversial ending, yeah, all right. Then go. I view it as like, oh, yeah, but that has an asterisk. Like, okay, so your internal definition, yeah, okay, all right, I get it. I didn't mean like, what's the dictionary definition? That's what for I was like, This has for. an asterisk. That's what I was looking for. All right, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of unhappy people. Yeah, I mean, my gut reaction says the committee will do everything it can to find a way to get Alabama in because that's basically why they exist. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's and, and another fun fact, the first ever four-team playoff was Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, and Ohio State. 
That is fun. That it's is a very, fun fact. very close to being that again. I have a feeling that a lot of these scenarios will sort themselves out, you know, and it won't be a big thing. Alabama's probably going to be an underdog to Georgia. Yeah. Um, so I think it will sort itself out. But in the event that it doesn't and it's just pure mayhem, I'm here for it. You know who else is here for it? Paul Feinbaum. I was going to say Allstate. Because you're in good hands? Mayhem. Oh, like me. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the Allstate guy, a.k.a. Pedro Serrano from Major League. <laughs> Allstate. Um, but, no, yeah, we're in, uh, we're in hypothesize about who gets left out season, which is one of my favorite parts of the college football season. I think it's... I think it's one of a lot of people's favorite parts. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I always, people I, love drama. Yeah. I, I always used to, like, be in, like, the dining hall uh, at school, watch on, like, a Tuesday night, just eating dinner, like, watching the ranking show on my laptop just to see, like, immediate, to know immediately who gets, who gets left out. I thought you were about to tell me you'd be, like, pounding the table, telling everyone around you that this is BU's year to get in. <laughs> The non-existent <laughs> Terriers program. Is there no football? T- you went to a school without a football team? No football team. What the 30, 33,000 students, no football team. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard you say to me. Yeah, no, Rue and I both talk about how like we kind of wish we had been at a school with a football team. Oh, you too. Yeah, uh... I mean, we had a team, but we might as well have not. <laughs> Uh, we we had, I mean, BU has like one of the yeah the best hockey teams in the country. Yeah, yeah but, it's, but nobody cares about it. No, I, I I did see some like really good players in college, which was cool though. I saw Kale McCarr because he went to UMass for some reason, so that was like fun. Okay, they have the projected number one pick in next year's draft now. Macklin Celebrini, BU. That yeah. is a that's a really good name. I think he's Canadian. Jeremy Macklin Celebrini. <laughs> and then, yeah, so we'll just recap some of the storylines developing in the early season of NBA action. Yeah, the biggest probably being James Harden and the immediate failure since he's joined the Clippers. They're 0-4, and his low-light reel is a lot longer than his highlight reel. They look disjointed. Everyone seems unhappy. The vibes are off. And James Harden, the system, is just a system that no one's buying into right now. That was some of my best work, and you didn't even acknowledge it. (laughs) Um, This has to be, like, the final nail in the coffin for the Clippers as a franchise for the next, like, two and a half seasons, right? Like, they're essentially in purgatory until they can somehow get out from under this financial mess. Well, they didn't extend Harden, so he's a free agent. But still, like with all the other guys they have. They'll have to extend Kawhi and PG or let them leave. Either way. But I don't think they let them leave because of the new arena. Yeah, it brings them back to irrelevancy. Yeah, and I don't think they do that. But I don't think this is the end. Like, they still have a lot of talent on the team, and I think they can figure it out. Ty Lue's a good coach. That's also, like, very important here. Like, I think Ty Lue is a much better coach than, say, Doc Rivers. And so Doc clearly has had a lot of issues at a lot of points with a lot of players, and including Harden. I think Ty Lue can try to figure it out and just 
stagger their minutes such that everyone is getting the ball and is getting their shots the way they want to. Kawhi and PG are still really good wing defenders, so like having that advantage is beneficial. Also, like the, I mean, the lack of practice time, like you're you're playing a totally different system essentially. You have, there's major adjustments. Like there's a lot at, at play here. Plus, just like rust going into the season. So the sample size is so small that I still think the Clippers are going to be a playoff team. Just the chance that they're a play-in team increases by the day. In the West especially. Yeah. They have to figure it out to at least like a little bit soon, or it's going to be really hard to come back from this the deficit they're putting themselves in. Yeah, and I mean, they, they even got, I don't want to say like a fortunate start, but for example, teams like Memphis being shorthanded because of suspensions and stuff like that, like... The good, the top teams in the West are not at their strongest right now. And to fall behind early puts yourself in an even bigger disadvantage. It's almost like losing, like, two home games in football early. Which also, to toot my own horn, I did tell you the Grizzlies would struggle. 100%. So I just wanted to to put that out there. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the, not so much the, well, yeah, the rotation for the Clippers, but also just the way that, their offense operates like you'd have to think that some of some of Westbrook's like ball handling will be deviated to Harden a a little bit but also he's going to need to create opportunities off ball in ways that he really hasn't in a couple seasons because he's playing with Paul George and Kawhi now who are good at like creating their own opportunities the key is going to be staggering their minutes and figuring out the best rotation where everyone's getting minutes and everyone's getting their shots. And the only time it's really going to be an issue in my eyes is the end of the game and who's getting the shots and who's doing, like, who's the man at the end of the game. Because if you start, I don't think you're going to start all four, meaning uh, Kawhi, PG, Harden, and Russ. I think you bring Russ off the bench. You can make Harden the first sub. Then you could play Harden and Russ together off the bench when you bring them on. You take Paul George and Kawhi out. You stagger their minutes so that they're not really overlapping so much. So there's ways to do it throughout the game. It's just, but in crunch time, because yesterday, either yesterday or two days ago, I saw they pulled Russ for Harden with two minutes to go in the game, and Russ was pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I think it was partially because Harden wasn't playing particularly well. So then it's, are you going by name brand or are you, is this a meritocracy where you're going with the hot hand? And so that's all, it's all Ty Lue's job, really. It's really incumbent upon him to figure everything out. And if there is a coach, not, you know, there's plenty of coaches I would bet on to figure it out, but he is one of them. So I think it'll sort itself out to some extent. It just is a matter of when and if it's going to be too late for them to actually make some noise. It bodes well for my my Brody six-man-of-the-year prediction. Well, moving him to the bench helps, but it doesn't bode well because he there just not may not be enough shots for him to get to the stats that he'll need. Also true. But, hey, the first part of my prediction came true. So yeah, yeah, it did. I can cash out now, I guess. Yeah. Um, some other surprising teams that I just wanted to mention because there's a lot going on early in the season. Um, the Rockets have been off to a great start. I think they have a top they're one of the they might be the only team in the league with a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense as it currently stands, which it speaks to not only their additions in the offseason but also just 
to Ime Udoka and how good a coach he actually is. It's the type of thing where, you know, with the Celtics getting such a talented roster, it's hard to tell if he's actually a good coach. Like Ty Lue with the Cavs is like, how can you tell if this guy's actually a good coach when he has Kyrie Love and LeBron, and LeBron James at the height of his powers? Huh. It's like, you can't. And then he leaves, and it's like, okay, this guy can actually coach. Kind of the same thing with Doc Rivers. It's like after, when he left the Celtics, I was like, this guy's the man. And then he went to the Clippers, and he wasn't the man. And then he went to the Sixers, and he definitely wasn't the man. <laughs> and now he's broadcasting. But Ty Lu, really good coach. Ime Udoka now doing what he's doing with those guys. Those and he's Shangun. He's turning into a star, and Dylan Brooks is playing out of his mind, and it's it's all coming together like super nicely for them. Shangun has been one of the highest rated players overall in the league this season. He also looks like he mm-hmm. grew like a foot. I don't know about his his growth, but he's he looks huge now. I don't remember him like popping off the screen this way. It, it also is because he's playing well, so there's like more of a focus on him. Yeah, I mean he's got the like bit of a star glow to him to start the season, so he pops a little more on screen. Um, other team, another team that's surprising is the Timberwolves off to seven and two start. Rudy Gobert looks like a new man again. He like real like early favorite for defensive player of the year. They are a another top five defense. That's exciting for them. I don't know. I still don't take them very seriously as like a playoff contender unless Anthony Edwards like is truly a superstar. I think like, he is. But it, I'm talking like top five, like I'm carrying this team kind of superstar. How many players would you take over him right now if you're starting a franchise? Top of my head? I don't is know. it more than five? I would, I would think I'd be surprised if it was more than five. Jokic, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty close with him and Luka, but I'd probably, probably take Luka, Luka. Yeah. but it's getting there. Wemby? Th- so early. No, I'm taking Wemby over him. Wemby's got – he just – you can't teach what he has. Uh, I mean, not for nothing, Chet's been unbelievable. I wouldn't take Chet over Anthony Edwards, but he's would for sure – Would you take SGA over Anthony Edwards? Yeah. I would. SJ's already a first-team All-NBA, 33-point-per-game scorer. Like, that's tough. So there, it's there's guys like Jason Tatum. I don't know. They're pretty close. I take. I like Tatum. I know more. you do. Like, but but Ed, Edwards is right there. He's there's no there's not ten guys I would take over him. I mean, but I just I don't have a I don't have the list in my head. But there's well, guys that was five that you named. But I'd be surprised if you take more than that over him. R.J. Barrett. No way. No, but I do love him so much. He's <laughs> off to a great start to the year as well. Halliburton, I would probably take Edwards over Halliburton. I think me too, but that's a good one. That is a good one. That one's closer than I probably I I solved that one very quickly in my head, but that one is closer than it seemed. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, but more of the story Timberwolves are off to a surprising start. Sixers are another team off to a very surprising start at 8 and 1. Maxie's been incredible. Uh, yeah, he had 50 points. I'm not going to say I was wrong about him because I never counted him out my stance on him has always been i have no idea what his ceiling is and that wasn't saying it was low and it wasn't saying it was high i just truly could not get a read on what he is because his archetype as like a star doesn't really exist in today's nba like no one really plays like he does you know what i mean like even at his size like his slight build 
and he he looks pretty small out there. You know what He's I mean? He's six two, something like that. Yeah. So it's it's just hard to project a guy like him if he can maintain. Obviously, not fifty points in a game kind of good but well, numbers but yeah but 25 if he's like a 20 25 would be awesome if he 25 would be awesome for a season but he's not right now he's i mean i don't know about the fit the 50 point game might skew it but before it he was at like 21 22 but he if he's a legitimate second start to Embiid, then all of my Embiid projections to the knicks are out the window and and just sixers timeline projections because then they're just like like a like a third not even, they don't even need a third guy then they're just like a fill out of a roster away it's finding the right role players then yeah. which, which I mean, is a trade deadline thing which they've already been here before though they have when they had their chance pretty much already now it's just getting to that point again they should have the butler team you're saying yeah yeah i agree with that they should have that team was really good hey <laughs> ben simmons ruined it i mean i don't know about him singularly but but also, Jimmy I mean, Jimmy Butler hated him. That Kawhi shot. I no, I think they also they picked Tobias over Jimmy Butler. Yeah, they did. Be, I, th- I think part of that was because Jimmy was like too intense for them. Th- I think that was part of it. But I, but Jimmy's always said he liked like him and Embiid were super close. I think part of it was uh, attitude and personality, and part of it was just they thought Ben Simmons and Embiid were the core going forward and Tobias fit with those two better, even though Jimmy Butler is a significantly better player because of what, like floor spacing ability, stuff like that. Yeah. Just and ball dominance and shooting and all the above and just size, even like Tobias is a pretty prototypical four that you would want to fit between stars. He's a legitimate power forward who can score the ball and rebound and shoot at a high level. So it's, he is an ideal pairing with a star so Sixers are surprising Bucks struggling early Dame hasn't looked great I think they'll figure it out though the Sixers the last thing I have on them is uh Ewing theory very much in play isn't the Ewing theory just when like your best player goes out and a team gets better I guess yeah but I think it applies to guys like James Harden too who is looked at as like a superstar even if he isn't one anymore yeah, I guess, but for this, it feels like there's, like, quantifiable addition by subtraction, like, logic, that it's, like, this makes sense. and Beyond, like, the, the, the chemist, the locker yeah. room's happier. Yeah, well, I do think that is a huge factor here. The, that's the, the UN and, part, though. But, uh, but that's also not uh, – Nick Nurse is also now the coach, and I think he's just got them playing – okay, so this goes – this is both to the locker room and to Nick Nurse. The Last year – when Harden was out of the game, the way the Sixers played was like a totally different play style. They played fast, and they when Maxi ran the show, they were up tempo. But when Harden was in, they were I think the 28th fastest paced offense in the league. So very very slow. And Nick Nurse came in and said, "I want us to play fast. I want to get the ball out. I want to you know get shooters out. I want to do everything. All of this." Harden would dribble the air out of the ball and run a million pick and rolls with Embiid and now is that. So the team itself is flowing better. I think the chemistry is better, but I think the play style is also better. So it's a lot of factors that make sense. So it's partial Ewing theory, but also just the new head coach paired with the departure of James Harden is like a way it's maximizing what they have now. 
Maximizing. Maximizing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as it currently stands, Maxi's an MVP candidate. It, he won't, won't be. Yeah. But that's at, as of right now, he he's is. taking a huge leap. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if you were to do after every ten games an MVP candidate tracker, the Sixers played nine. Maxi would be a top five MVP candidate probably. Right now, he's a first team All NBA guy. He was like the Eastern Conference Player of the Month or something like that. Yeah. That's all I really got. I, I think the sample is so small. Still, I know we're like technically like ten to twelve percent through the season already, but. It's just, it feels like there's so many, like, that's so much of this doesn't matter. It feels like extended preseason almost, and then we just still don't know who teams are yet. Gotta give it till Christmas. Yeah. I. It's like the first few weeks of the NFL season. Are meaningless. Really don't mean anything, and you probably shouldn't take, everything should be taken with a grain of salt. But that's all I got. Cool. On the football? Yeah, let's go on to the meat. All right, NFL talk. So, back to our usually scheduled programming. Um, we're going to do, we've each picked one storyline, one surprise from this past weekend, one disappointment, and then two games to look forward to next week. Would you like to kick things off with your first storyline? Yeah. So, my storyline is that the 49ers are back, and I kind of knew that they would be. They have too much talent on their team. I think Shanahan is a great coach. I still think Purdy's a good quarterback. They got Debo back. They looked great. They made the Jags look horrible. I think they're just still a super well-rounded unit. And I knew that they had all this talent, so the win itself didn't do anything for me. Also because I have kind of begrudgingly accepted the Jaguars as a serious contender. Almost, I think at because of you, because you believed in them so much, so I started to believe in it, but I, I never really liked what I saw from them. So the win itself isn't what did it. It was just for them to come out and really just beat the shit out of the Jaguars and reestablish themselves as, as you know a powerhouse team in the NFL, I think spoke volumes. What did you think of them trying to force-feed Christian McCaffrey a touchdown? Stupid. Yeah, Shanahan always does that stupid shit though. In blowouts, he'll like play a. St- he, he, tom- he tibses it. Like you, you, when you're up big, you take out your starters. It's like especially t- injury prone Chris- Christian McCaffrey, who's coming yeah. off an oblique injury. That was stupid. And like, sure, the streak is cool, but no one gives a shit. No one cares at all. No, it's th- it's meaningless. No, um, are they are they now first in the NFC West? San Francisco, tied with the Seahawks. I still had them top five in my power rankings. Yeah, you did. Now they're top four. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're awesome. They hit the skids a little bit, but... I don't think if, anybody was really doubting that this was, like, a super talented team. I think everyone kind of knew they were just, like, in said skids, I guess. I think it's easy to say that now. But when you looked at all the power rankings that other people were doing and they were outside the top ten... I don't think that that's an accurate portrayal of what was happening. I didn't see those power rankings. I'm not saying they didn't exist. I saw many that had the Bills, the Seahawks, the Browns, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, all over the Niners. Damn. I'm not saying you doubted their status as a real contender, but I I think that perception was definitely out there. Okay. I don't really look at, like, power rankings that often, so I I just didn't know. I like to see how things change as week to week. How the power gets re-ranked. Mm-hmm. 
it's very reactionary, obviously, as all of the NFL season is because every game has so much importance. But people were discounting the Niners' early success like a lot, and I I think that was wrong. Well, I mean, yeah, like you've like mentioned, there's there's a lot of Purdy naysayers, Purdy truthers. I think it was a term you used once. Yeah, yeah. That are were just waiting like sharks in water for for a smell of blood. Mm-hmm. And again, I, he, ha- he there's almost nothing he can do to really get rid of all of his naysayers. I just, I don't know. I mean, I I don't. We're too young to remember what like the talk about Brady was. When so he took different. Over. So different because it's all localized back then. No social media, and it's like. The the discussion is just totally different with how it is now. So it's hard it's hard to even compare it to a past era. In terms of like the fan the shit the fans say, yeah. But there was still I mean I'm just I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if like during Brady's first season, which was a run to the Super Bowl, that there was a lot of like they're gonna lose eventually. This guy's a six round draft pick. I guess, but I still feel like most things were more localized back then. Like, I bet it was like New were. England talk radio. There was probably a lot of that, but nationally, the coverage just wasn't so debate Existent. argumentative. <laughs> like, it wasn't a, it was like people wrote articles and then there was sports radio. Yeah. It, it, be, sports radio became sports TV. You know, it was like a totally different world. Yeah. True. So it's just, it's hard to compare it, but I, I, I just still think the guy's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. White trash purdy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right, so my storyline is that it's done in New England. Uh, I'm just not sure for who exactly. I know it's done for Mac Jones. Uh, I would be pretty stunned if it was done for Belichick during the season. I I think you probably agree about that. I th- well, Mac Jones has had two of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my whole life. And it's really hard with Mac Jones' interceptions to even rank them on, like, the scale of bad Mac Jones plays because there's, like, two yeah. a game that are just, oh, my God. I think he's regressed so much. I, th- I think his confidence is shot. I think he's just broken, honestly. And being benched multiple times by your head coach probably will do that to you. And I just think last year's demons are too much to him for him to overcome it's very sam darnoldy to me it feels that way could it be tua e though where the same thing kind of happened under flores for him where the ship could get righted at i mean but that's is there another mike mcdaniel that you could bring in and do that to, i don't know if tua, it would probably be him going somewhere else yeah i just don't think mac has as much talent as tua i agree with that i i mac i this is goes back to the it's the Sam Darnold on the Niners, the Mac Jones. If you put anyone on like with talent on the Niners, they're going to perform. I don't – it's hard. I feel like it's harder to salvage what's happened to Mac now. If he's – those throws, he's, he's making inexcusable types of interceptions. Yeah. The He underthrew – he was off his back foot for no reason. There wasn't even pressure in his face, and he underthrew him by 15 yards. Yeah, no, it's, it's like the kind of underthrow that – that looks like somebody that's never played football. Either that or someone who's high. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put some touch on this. Yeah. <laughs> that was the Mahomes interceptions that we were seeing that one game. <laughs> to answer your point about Belichick, I definitely don't think he'll be fired midseason. I honestly, I still would be 
surprised if they fire him after the year. Me too. So, I, there's a lot of talk of it, and you were ahead of the game on that, to your credit. And I thought they would be more competent this year, especially just ridding themselves of Matt Patricia. But would I be shocked if they bring back Josh McDaniels next year and they turn it around a little bit? Not really. I don't know. I have a hard time counting out Belichick. I've heard rumors of him getting traded. Yeah. Which would be cool. Before fired, I think he would get traded. I agree because I think then it would be his say-so to go somewhere else. I doubt his him as a GM, Belichick. I don't doubt him as a coach. I think he's done a pretty bad job as GM. Terrible. Yeah. Every personnel move since drafting Mac Jones, basically, from the signing of Jonu Smith and Aguilar to huge deals to yeah. the hiring of Patricia, like you said, as OC. Devontae Parker extension in the offseason when he's, like, their fourth best wide receiver. Like, there's yeah. a lot of questionable moves, and... I mean, I don't. The guy's actually pretty good, but like, what was it Cole Strange, the first round draft? Yeah, he was yeah. from like UC Chattanooga, right? I think that's exactly where he's I, from. The fact that I know that shows how bizarre the pick was at the time, because everyone was like, "Who?" Like this guy wasn't even on our board, and he turned out. I think he's actually pretty solid. But again, Chattanooga. Yeah. Okay. So if you can get him in the fourth round, though, that's great value. But getting him in the first when he wasn't on anyone else's radar is stupid. It's, yeah. it's being a bad GM. I think if he went somewhere else, I mean, it was the same thing that happened to Bill O'Brien, honestly. Good coach, horrible GM. I think it's really hard to do both. Chip Kelly. Yeah. It's just once you start doing both, I think both things start going downhill. Yeah. So the way I'm kind of envisioning this is that <clears throat> at some point in the timeline of existence in the universe, Bill Belichick and Bob Kraft will have a conversation that will go something like, Look, Bill, you've led an unprecedented reign of sustained success. Your place in NFL and Boston history is written in stone. It's not getting washed away. Uh, But you need to start turning this thing around or we're going to have to do what we think is best for the organization. I just don't know if that is happening, like you said, the day after the season ends. I don't know if it happened last season. So... At 100%, Bill Belichick will have months of advanced warning that he's on a short string. It's not going to stun anybody outside of that building when he gets fired. We just, as the outside public, have no idea when that is going to happen or if it's ha- if it has happened. And we honestly shouldn't. No. Uh, Bel- Belichick, that... Everything around him has always been secret. He's, I think, like the one coach that nobody knows what his contract details are. Yeah, well, there was that report that he got a huge extension in the offseason, but no one knows what the dollar amount is or if it even happened or for how long it is. Nobody ever has, yeah. Yeah. It's like like him, Bob Kraft, and his agent, and that's it. Mm -hmm. It also could be a conversation of, look, Bill, we want to keep you around, but we're we don't like your moves as GM. And then that discussion could lead to Belichick getting pissed off and wanting out. Yeah, 100%. And they're going to be in a position to take a potentially a new quarterback with a top-five pick, and it's going to come down to who does Kraft feel comfortable leaving that decision to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's really all I had for, for our friends up in New England. All right. So then my surprise is Sam Howell. He's continued to play – Honestly, like, really well. The Washington football team lost a tough game to a pretty talented Seahawks team that was 
not in a must-win situation, but in a we probably should win this one situation. Um, he threw for another 300 yards and three touchdowns. Honestly, all year he's been pretty awesome, minus that one game against the Bills where he was horrendous. He's got some questionable moments as he's still learning the ropes, but I think he's like a in most counting stats like a top ten quarterback. And he's first in passing yards. Yeah, I, granted they're airing the ball out like it's nobody's business, but he's honestly been really good. And he's tied for third in touchdowns. And he's he's thrown I think like eleven picks or something, which isn't amazing. I could even, I could be overselling it, but it's. He hasn't been super turnover prone. Coming into the year, I liked what I saw from him last year in the very small sample size. I thought he had the potential to be more than just a bridge quarterback, but it seemed like everyone was pushing the narrative of new ownership. This guy's not going to be the guy no matter what. But I think the way he's played, it's going to be really hard to move on from him. Uh, he's got nine picks on the season. So, yeah, I said 11, so I, was, yeah. I even oversold it. He's been really good. And three of them were in one game, his worst game of the year by far. And like you said, he's he's getting killed back there behind the offensive line, but it feels like he's done a, a better job minimizing that a little bit because a lot of them were him holding the ball too long. Like, for example, against Philly, he had one sack two weeks ago, so it seems like he realizes when he's facing a ferocious pass rush that he needs to sp- speed his internal clock up a little bit. And even like the advanced metrics back him up, his – Completion percentage over expected, which is a measure um, of, I mean, I guess it's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> but uh, he's sixth in the league. His EPA is a little more, little more middle of the pack. It's 18th, but also that's slightly a product of the kind of plays that are being called for him. And they had him. They're starting to let him play a little more, but they had the first starts leash on him earlier in the season mm-hmm. also though a guy who was i think it was what a fifth round pick fourth i think okay yeah okay we'll say fourth even for argument's sake if he's 18th in epa as essentially a first year as a starter arguably like his rookie season playing wise getting 18th epa out of a fourth round pick is fifth round pick fifth round pick yeah. is is pretty awesome and i think it would be silly to move on from that kind of potential he's certainly shown enough that he sh- it should be his job next season and yeah. they won't even be in a position to like take it's not like he's playing well and they're losing yeah like davis mills kind of has or like mm-hmm. Minshew did for like periods yeah no it's that's it, exactly it they're not even going to be in pole position to get like a top end first round quarterback they're, yeah. they're they win too many games for that 100 percent. also not for nothing mc bobinson is now a top four fantasy running back well he had a thousand points on that one catch last week hey man uh, top four is top four yeah mc bob is real my surprise from this past weekend is the arizona cardinals so on the outside it shouldn't be super surprising because it's a bad but seemingly well-coached team that is getting its max contract, former number one overall pick, back and beat a team that came into the game under 500 in the Atlanta Falcons. But it's a surprise because Kyler looked awesome. He had 249 passing yards, one rushing touchdown, and a few times that he escaped pressure, he looked super quick when he got into open space. And honestly, 
I'm not 100% sure that the Cardinals are going to are going to take a quarterback in the draft even if they have like a top 2 pick, which I don't think they will anymore because getting Kyler back and the way he looked, they'll probably win a couple more games, but a lot of uh like national analysts are saying that because of his contract, there's really just no way that they can move on to a new quarterback, and I'm very interested to see how they look over the la- the next couple weeks because I mean they were supposed to be hot garbage, and they really, for most of the season, haven't looked like that. When Josh Dobbs was their quarterback, they were competitive almost in every single game. They should have beat the Giants. I wish, Honestly, now I wish they'd beaten the Giants. I don't want to say they should have beaten other teams, but they were in very close games against other good teams. And I think not only is it, like a testament to how good their coaching is and how good their offensive system is also because they were continuing being competitive even when uh james connor went down and they had amari di mercado back there like they were still a largely competitive team minus the clayton tune game so that speaks to the current regime but also now kyler coming in and looking awesome again i think speaks to cliff kingsbury and how bad their system was and making Kyler basically like a check down short yardage artist and which kind of diminishes a lot of what makes him special. I think it was surprising to see him look so mobile. 100%. Could, that was the most surprising thing. You're I think he had one late game escape artist kind of play that in the sealed the, quarter, in the fourth yeah. quarter. It sealed the game. He ran probably like 40 yards in total in a full circle and it was amazing. And those kind of plays I mean we talked about it last week. It's what makes you see things like that, and it's what makes players special. And Kyler has special ability. It just seemed like, whether it was coaching or whether it was his video game addiction, it seemed like uh. he had had kind of plateaued. Now, with his talent level and seemingly this really good system and really good coaching staff, and he's got decent weapons around him, like it could just be... He could just be relaunching his career and could be a top 10 quarterback like everyone thought he would be. Yeah, he's 26 years old. His head coach is the guy who most recently worked with Jalen Hurts uh, at Oklahoma. They went from Kyler to Jalen Hurts. So, like, those guys have a skill set that is very translatable. Not Translatable is probably not the right term, but that the, the things that make a coach mesh well with one of them translates to the other they have similar skill sets in a, in a way yeah exactly yeah um so i think it could be very interesting like honestly if you're a cardinals fan and over the last couple of weeks of the season the offense is like really functioning and you have two top 10 picks which i guess you won't now because the texans are awesome mm-hmm. wow i didn't even think about that <laughs> but if you have two first round picks like that changes things if you don't need a quarterback all of a sudden yeah, you can get, a, like, day one contributors at other positions, like other super valuable positions. Yeah. I don't think – yeah, I think that his contract isn't movable, and that's what I've heard from people who know more than I do. But also, I don't think they'll want to move on from him. I think they have – maybe not – no, they have – I think they have a franchise guy in-house. They have a guy with a skill set that doesn't exist on most people on earth. Yes. He's, at his worst, a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. I think that's fair. Yeah. It's hard to find those guys. 100%. Bears been trying to do it for how long? 100 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Anything else on that? No, that was all I had. All right. So my disappointment was the Ravens. They had a 14-point lead late in the fourth quarter in uh, what should have been a division essentially stealing win against the Browns, which then turned into a disappointing loss. I don't know if there's anyone in particular that you can point the finger at here. Like Lamar's late pick six was an insane deflection that nine times out of ten hits the turf. Keaton Mitchell, though, baller. Given serious Devon A. Chain vibes, I think if I had to point to something in that game, the Ravens should have given him the ball more. He had a carry early. It was a 39-yard touchdown. They ran a screen play for him later on in the game. It was a 32-yard reception. The guys just got explosive talent, and yet they were feeding the ball to Gus Edwards, who is a plotting running back who's he's basically LeGarrette Blount. He's a red zone specialist. Like, And that those guys have value, but when you have a Keaton Mitchell or a Devon Achan or something like that who's got that game-breaking ability, you give them the ball. So that was – if there was one – thing I could point to that they should have done more it was give him the ball but if the Ravens had held on to their lead they would be eight and two which would have made the Browns five and four the Bengals lost the Texans so they're five and four and somehow the Steelers who have been outgained in every single game this year are six and three. First time since uh, 1933 I think that that's happened yeah which uh, yeah it's it's a Mike Tomlin masterclass as always Mike Tomlin not to interrupt but is in his last 7 years something like 48 and 25 in one score games which essentially we know are coin flips yes it's basically statistically impossible to be as good as he is yes <laughs> yeah but moral of the story even with if the Steelers were 6 and 3 and the Bengals and Browns were 5 and 4, the Ravens at 8 and 2 would have essentially locked up the division and this just makes their road a lot harder. The Ravens have 3 losses this season and all all 3 of them if you had stopped watching with like 8 minutes left in the fourth quarter and saw the score later in the day, you would have been like what the fuck happened? I saw I'm going to botch the stack cuz I don't have it directly in front of me. But I saw that, I think, of their last seven losses at in either the fourth quarter or in the second half, they had in half of them a 75% chance win probability, and in the other half they had a 90% win probability. <laughs> so for them to have lost all of them was like a .0006% chance that that would happen. So, like, it's borderline insane that the way that they're losing these games, especially with Harbaugh as a coach, like, it's, a, it's really weird. I don't know. I, I don't – I can't possibly pinpoint what the reasoning behind that is. This one just kind of happened. Yeah. Like, just out of nowhere. I know. It's just like, what? oh, man. Like, this I, is turning. I, yeah, I saw that the the Browns didn't have the lead. It was, like, the longest a team went in a game that they won without having the lead. Something like that. I, I, do you understand what I just said to you? I do. I question if that's true. I think it was, like, 59 minutes and 30 seconds or something like that. But what if, like, I mean, I feel like plenty of times a team doesn't lead until, like, a game-winning field goal as time expires. Oh, but I guess that would be not having the lead at all, technically, right? Mm-hmm. That would be zero, zero seconds of having the lead. They became just the fourth team in the modern Super Bowl era to win after trailing in the first minute of regulation and not leading until the final minute of regulation. Gotcha. Okay. So go down super early because of the Hamilton pick six. Mm-hmm. And then come back and win with under an hour later. Yeah. An hour of game time later. Yeah. So again, unprecedented loss 
as they all pretty much have been. <laughs> for how good they are, now for them to make their life this hard is is disappointing. Especially in this division. Yeah, which dropping is, a game like this. I mean, fucking, I don't. I you can't explain the Steelers, but they're finding ways to win, and so they just know, at this point it's not even like the Vikings like one score game record last year. It's just oh, it's these just guys Tomlin. know how to win. Yeah, Tomlin is just a different breed. That's all I got. All right, cool. Um, my disappointment ties into your surprise, actually. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came into this game 6-2 and two with wins over the following. The Colts, the Falcons, the Bills, the Colts, again, the Saints, and the Steelers. These are all not complete teams. Like, for example, the Steelers have an awesome defense like we've talked about, but their offense is pretty bad. The Colts have one of the weirder teams because on any given day they can put up three points they can put up 30 points they can give up 12 points they can give up 45 points the saints have a great defense bad offense you get the point they've lost to kansas city they've lost to houston and they've lost to san francisco by epa kansas city and san francisco are both in the top seven for offensive and defensive, so much more well-rounded teams. Houston has an explosive offense, but their defense is 22nd, so less so. But the point is, when they run into teams that are like elite on both sides of the ball, they tend to lose. This one, they just got bullied by San Francisco all game. They got out-physicaled at the line of scrimmage, uh, out-wide with uh, wideouts blocking. Trevor Lawrence has lost 18 fumbles since 2021, which is the most in the NFL. And this season, they're a good team defensively, the Jaguars. They're fourth in passing EPA per play, and they're ninth in rushing, but they're really struggling offensively. They're 18th in EPA per play passing and 28th in EPA per play rushing. And I was reading into this a little bit today. There's a theory, and I guess it's a little more than a theory, but it's from Jags fans that the reason behind this is because Peterson has delegated play calling duties. <sighs> you suck, dude. What? That was my my note on your I roll with it. Roll with it. Yeah. Go oh no, you No, can, go, go. Ba- well, basically that when Peterson was with the Chiefs, Andy Reid gave him play calling duties to bolster his resume and to help him become a head coach in the future. Now, Peterson is doing the same with Press Taylor and this is now Trevor Lawrence's third OC in three years, and Press Taylor is just not as good as Peterson, and it's led to basically the regression of Trevor Lawrence. Not back to urban levels, but certainly regressed back from where he was last year. Yeah, and another fun fact, Press Taylor also was the play caller in Peterson's last year in Philly, mm-hmm. which was by far his worst season there. This guy's career suicide for Peterson. <laughs> yeah, so I just think he should retake play calling duties. Was that was also my note? No, I agree, a hundred percent. I think that would that would totally right the ship because we know Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. Yeah, the fumble stats alarming, but I mean, I test and like advanced metrics wise, this guy's by all means a franchise guy. So I'm not super worried about that long term going forward, but definitely. They need to make changes because what they're running out on offense this season is not working. It just seems like nothing is clicking. They, It seems like they can't get Ridley involved. They're very reliant on the short passing game. I think he's getting the ball out second fastest in the NFL. It is, which, yeah. Which, I mean, can be a good thing, but isn't right now, obviously. Like, th- there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it's, it's why I've had questions about them all year. It just felt like their offense was never clicking. 
and it was epitomized in this last game. 100%. You got anything else? No, we can go on to games to watch for. All right, so I got one this week, and it's Chiefs-Eagles on Monday Night Football. I honestly don't even have a prediction for this one. It's just going to be an awesome game. They're the two best teams in football, I think, personally. So can't ask for a – I mean, realistically, the game's going to end up being a friggin' stinker because it's a primetime game, and most of them are. But you can't ask for a better regular season matchup. No, this is – I mean, anytime you get a Super Bowl rematch in primetime, and, yeah, it's it's the two top seeds in each conference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't on paper get better than that. My prediction, Eagles – 23 Chiefs, 14. Okay. 17. Well, with all 17 scored in the first half. Yes. Yeah. In th- On three consecutive drives. The only reason I'm also reluctant to pick, I know the Chiefs have had their struggles, but they're coming out of their bye, and I've, I'm a firm believer in teams coming out of their bye breaking out. Granted, the Eagles are also coming out of their bye, so... I don't know what to make of that. But I don't know. I have a hard time betting against Andy Reid coming out of the bye. Twenty-seven and four out of his bye. It's a hard I have a hard time betting against the man. I just think Philly's a more complete team. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yes, I understand it, but the Chiefs defense is now also so good that it's their offense that's making them not the yeah. complete unit, but their offense has Patrick Mahomes. So that's, you know, that's why. I, do. I, I get, I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I have a don't bet against Mahomes rule. Yeah. For a reason. Mm-hmm. For a reason. For a reason. Except when it didn't outweigh my don't bet. Well, actually, that it did. I let it outweigh my, outweigh my don't bet against Brady rule once, and I regretted it for the rest of my life. I did the same, actually. We both lost. I think we both lost money the same exact way. Yeah. Except I made one huge Hail Mary bet in that one. AB and Gronk Gronk touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Saved my whole night. I broke even. Yeah. So I have have two games to watch for, unless you have more on that one. Uh, No, I think that's it. Oh, one one thing. Yeah. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift seem genuinely happy. Yeah. It's it's nice, actually. It's very wholesome, and I'm happy for them. You could bet if I was a Chiefs fan, I would be wanting him to stop traveling overseas every day, though. Not unless she gets to the games and then he balls out again. That's true. But also, last thing, NFL changed their Twitter headline thing, their their cover photo. It was Taylor Swift. Now it is Josh Dobbs. Wow. That's yeah. an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually somehow painted myself as anti-Taylor Swift because of that award I gave out yesterday. I'm not. I just like making fun of, like, Oh, that you saved, that she saved the NFL? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was funny, though. Thank you. Uh, all right, so my first game is Bengals at Ravens. The Bengals were super hot, but they dropped a game to uh, to Houston this past weekend. C.J. Stroud had, uh, had another incredible game. Uh, but now the Bengals are last in the division. And like you like you said, it, this AFC North is big boy football, and the Ravens are also coming off a, cr- a crushing loss. So this is this is really going to go a long way towards determining uh, how that division shapes out the rest of the way forward. Huge ramifications in this game. Massive, yeah. A loss here would make making the playoffs extremely difficult for Cincinnati, which is crazy. It is crazy, but it's it just goes back to our early season discussion. Yeah, it, they put themselves in this spot. 
So, no sympathy for me. It's literally like what we were saying about the Clippers in the West. Like, the Bengals in the AFC North, you can't drop games early. Yeah, when you willingly dig a hole for yourself, it's really hard to get out of. Yeah. Um, and then my second game is Cowboys at Panthers because nothing is going to hit me like a, a low blow quite like the Cowboys after a month of playing fantastic football, losing to the Panthers, and sabotaging the Bears' chances of getting the number one pick. <laughs> I mean, that would just be the most Cowboys thing ever. Happened with the Cardinals. Yeah. It would check out. I never, ever pretty much bet on the Cowboys at this point. They always find a way to surprise one way or the other, and they also never play normal games. It's either a blowout pretty much. Either they're getting blown out or they're blowing someone out. I think they have, like, two normal games all year. So if they were to get shown up by the Panthers, I wouldn't be that surprised. This is just what they do. They they get blown out by the – well, actually, they didn't get blown out by the Eagles, but they, they got blown out by the Niners, play – Go three and one after that with some really impressive wins and like a hard fought loss to a really good football team. And the hype, 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 and then they lose to Carolina and it just all comes crashing down. Jerry Jones, it's another picture of him being racist online. And yeah. Which also, I mean, people are now all aboard the Cowboys bandwagon after this big win over the Giants. Giants suck. Yeah. This win means nothing. This is this win does nothing to change anything for the Cowboys. They're the same team they were two days ago. They're, they beat the the Giants are the worst team in football, right which now. is a good team though. What? The Cowboys, the, where they were two days yeah, ago, yeah, which yeah. is they're, still a really good team. Yeah, I'm not not doubting that. I'm just saying this win didn't do anything, and it shouldn't have done anything to change public perception of them. I agree. They're the same team. Yeah. The Giants just stink. I agree with that. That's all. But it's all, now they're all over ESPN. I've seen Dak on TV more today than I have all season. <laughs> so it's all because of the he had five touchdowns against the worst team in football. It doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> a team that's trying to lose, hopefully. Yeah, Act, uh, definitely. I just I just hope so. That's all. I, that's all I'll say. Um, do you want to move on to awards? Yeah, I started with the meat. So you want to give yours first? Yes. Okay. Uh, my first award of today's show is the Santa Tracker Award. I know what the Santa Tracker is. It's, you know, Christmas Eve, that little fake map that has Santa all over the world on it. Yeah, I, I okay, so this has to do with something that you're keeping tabs on. Not me personally. That a lot of people are keeping tabs on, but ultimately means nothing. Um, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it means nothing. Okay, that's something that uh, is it the college football playoff thing? It, it's a college football thing, but it's not. It doesn't have to do so much with multiple teams. The Heisman race? No, I don't know. This is flight tracker for the Texas A&M Jet because when big time schools are looking for coaches, uh, fans of that school tend to track where the schools private plane is going to see who they're meeting with and And let's say if it shows up in like oxford mississippi one day yeah and everyone goes viral like texas a&m meeting with lane kiffin or if it's like in eugene oregon texas a&m meeting with dan lanning so we're in for a lot of that over the next couple weeks okay that's cool 
I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. All right. I never would have guessed that. Um, so my first award is the player who has made me most proud award. Um, is this going to somebody whose effort is palpable and you can't help but root for them? A no. true underdog story? No, no, no. This is just someone that has made me personally very proud and vindicated. And vindicated. And vindicated. I will give you the hint that it's a basketball award. I figured, actually. Okay. Is it McCall Bridges? No, it is not. Do you want one more guess, or do you want me to tell you? I want one more guess. Okay. Not Frank Milikini. Is it going to Mitchell Robinson? No, it is not. All right. It is going to R.J. Barrett. Ah, he was actually my probably second to next guess. Well, he's probably my favorite player in the league now. Has been teetering. He's been my favorite Nick for a long time, which basically equates to my favorite player. And he's come out of the the gates hot. He's averaging 23 a game, 49% from the field, 50% from three. His free throw average is up to 85%. He's typically been a slow starter, which has on the whole affected his season stats and his efficiency stats, and they've always counted against him. But this year in the summer, he played for Team Canada, so it seems like he has no rust to shake off. He actually sat out at tonight's game because he had a migraine, which can't blame him. I did the same thing last week for our podcast. (laughs) Um, And all last year, I had to deal with people hating on him to such an extent that I was literally talking to a content creator that I like respect on Twitter asking if I'm insane for still believing in in this guy when no one else seems to, I have the receipts for it. And he sided with me and agreed that everyone else is just buying into the narratives. And I was right now that he's playing at an all-star level this season. And he's seems to be the legitimate third star on the Knicks thus far. He's playing confidently. He's playing freely and they play significantly worse without him. And the numbers show that and reflect that. So, and he showed flashes of this in last year's playoffs, and I feel vindicated because of it. Re- what is your realistic best-case scenario for his three-point shooting percentage this season? It's not going to stay at 50, obviously. No, he's not. But if his free-throw shooting can stay above 80%, that's a huge improvement, and it'll bump up his scoring average significantly. If he could, do, you, do you think he could be like a, like a 37%? shooter from beyond the arc this season he's done it before so yeah has he th- i didn't know he shot that well that uh, not on volume though right from three it was the year he averaged 20 a game the first time so two seasons ago wow, so for I no idea for those who couldn't hear producer rue the whole Knicks starting five averaged 40 percent from three the year that they got massacred by the hawks in the so playoffs yeah obviously yeah excluding mitch but that year he averaged 18 a game on 40% from three, but his field goal percentage was 44%. This year it's 49%, 48.7. Cheatering on, on 50, 40, 90. 50, 50, 85. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously his three-point <laughs> shooting will level out significantly, but I could see him. And on volume, I actually didn't see how many attempts per game. Yeah, no, it was at, it was four attempts per game. Now he's at 5.7. So it's... Not crazy to think he could be a 37, 38% shooter. On six attempts a game, that's good. That would be amazing. I'd be thrilled for that. And also, not only is he scoring, though, he's playing phenomenal defense. Opponents are shooting only 40% when defended by him. 
he's playing like a tr- true two-way star. And playing at a level that makes his deal steal now. Yeah. It was all, I mean, yeah. They were it was paying, always a hometown discount. Exactly. I mean, he's getting paid. It was four for 100? Yeah. Five for 100? Something four. like that, yeah. So not nothing crazy by any means. They've honestly got all their guys on real sweetheart deals. The only one who's going to blow that up is going to be quickly. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, my second award is the bye week of the week award. This is going to the Niners. This is going to the Niners. Yeah, they had the best bye week of anybody probably this season. I mean, they were on a three three game losing streak going into it, and they just blew out on the road a division leader. I'm a firm believer in the bye week. There's magic in it. Rookies break out after it. Teams rewrite the ship after it. It's a, it's a magical time. Apparently, yeah. And the Niners won the bye week. Thoroughly. Easily. Handedly. <laughs> the Niners did win it, yeah. All right, so my second award, speaking of Emmanuel Quickly, is the Emmanuel Quickly with Opportunity Award, which is a nod to our friend Matt. It's not going to Maxi, right? It is going to Maxi. Oh, sweet. We've always joked that Maxi is just Quickly with Opportunity and uh, a green light, essentially. Guy put up a 50-burger this weekend. I think Quickly has the same explosive ability where he's capable of putting up a 50-burger. I think he's put up, like, 37, maybe maybe more in a game, if I remember correctly. But we've always said that Quickly is maybe not to the caliber of Maxi, but he's close when given opportunity. And so I wanted to give a little nod to Matt, give a little credit to Quickly, and shout out Maxi for his 50-burger. I'm waiting on you to nod. Nice. I was nodding. Yes, but you said, uh, not since you said give a nod to Matt, I don't think. Okay. Nodding to Matt. <laughs> uh, do you want to go first for bold predictions, too, because I went first for awards? Yes, this is good. Um, my bold prediction actually kind of goes to something you said, and it is that Bryce Young will have a star performance against the Cowboys. I had it that the Panthers lose the game, so... At least you had that going for you. <laughs> but And this is based on absolutely nothing, given the fact that I don't even believe in him, nor has he given me any reason to believe in him, other than having you as, at his backing. That's the <laughs> only reason that I have to believe in him. But it's a bold prediction for a reason, so if he's ever going to show me something, it's now. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Oh, and while we're here, I was spot on with my bold prediction last week. Josh yeah, Dobbs were. continued his magical <laughs> run and did upset the Saints. So that was very exciting for me. Yeah, you did nail that one. That was big. That was big. My bold prediction of the year of this week is that Oklahoma is going to lose on the road in Provo, Utah, to the BYU Cougars. Okay, I have truly no thoughts on this. Oklahoma is a 24.5-point favorite. Wow. So I think that qualifies as bold. Is Jaron Hall heading back to, to QB the – what the, the – what are they? The Cougars. The Cougars? Yeah, he's not. Um, this is at noon. It should be a beautiful setting, the BYU Stadium. Lavelle Edwards Stadium is right under some mountains. Our, our aforementioned friend Matt has sent us a picture of it. Uh, maybe that was just the baseball stadium. But – I think they're going to beat Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma stinks. Fraudulent. Will you bet that game? Yeah, that one I'll bet. You'll bet BYU, BYU money, money line? Yeah. Why not? If you remind me, I'll take that with you. I will. For like a dollar. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't want to put any real money on it. $1 is pretend. <laughs> so now that we're done with our meet, our awards, and our bold predictions, we can get into the moment everyone's been waiting for. I've got the names loaded up in here for the giveaway. We are going to spin the magical wheel of names here, and you are going to find out who wins the Jason Dominguez autographed mini helmet. Drum roll, please. Wait, actually, no drum roll, please. Oh, It'll yeah. mess up the mic. Rue, you can do it over there. Tap to spin. Go. And we will find out the winner shortly. The winner is... Chris Petro. Oh! What a win for Chris Petro. And we will spin for second place in case Chris Petro does not claim. Yeah, so Chris Petro, uh, you were the winner of the giveaway. Uh, if you... If you hear this, see it on, on online. We're going to um, post it on Instagram as well, but you have to claim it to win. Yeah, you have to message us so we can figure out how to send it to you. So shoot us a message. Chris Petro, the first winner. Tom's spinning again in case Chris Petro does not message us so we can see a second place to give the prize helmet to. And our second YouTube subscriber is Cheyenne Smith. Bum, right. bum, so Chris, Chris Petro is the first winner. If you get in contact with us, the helmet's yours. If not, Cheyenne Smith, get in contact with us also. And if the first winner does not uh, reach out to us, then you will be the helmet winner. We'll give them like a couple three-day grace period. Yeah, we'll post it on. Yeah, we'll post it on our story. Uh, prob I'll probably post it on Thursday just so it comes out at the same time as the episode. And we'll give him until next week to claim. And if not, we'll figure it out from there. Cool. But thank you, Cheyenne. Thank you, Chris Petro. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Tom, you want to tell them where to find us? Yes. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media, x.com, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, what else? TikTok, Facebook. I think that's all the social medias. They're, now they're starting to trip me up even worse than <laughs> ever. I'm somehow <laughs> regressing. Um, Podbean, if we want to go down that route again. So, uh, yeah, you can find us. You can, you can look us up. So, apologies. That was my worst one yet, but I got too <laughs> excited from the Wheel of Names. Good episode. Good episode. This was episode 30 of the Breaks Down podcast by Five Two Weight Collectibles. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Producer Roo. Thank you, Mikey Caps. Thank you to our giveaway entrance and both half-fish winners. Uh, I'm Adam Hartog, uh, Breaks Down podcast, Five Two Weight. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>